0: Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I've been fascinated by genius pretty much all my life. When I was 12 years old, I was in a psychiatric chair. Um, and I was a straight D student, first through 12th grade. And um, and I wasn't sure if I had mental disabilities, and I was told that I did. And so I, when I went through this psychiatric uh, journey, and I went through all this testing, and I, I've taken probably every IQ test that was available to to, um, to anyone at that time and all the way through college, and just to come to a realization that while on paper and in class and in the structures that existed, I seemed to have a, a massive mental deficiency. And yet when I took these other tasks, it seemed like I had some level of proficiency. And so I always wondered if there was genius inside of me, inside of others that was trapped or maybe unharnessed or or almost inaccessible because of of psychological, emotional damage in our lives.
1: So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I am so honored and thrilled to have Erwin McManus with me here today. He is uh, founder of Mosaic Church. Uh, I can't even go into all the different things that um, Pastor McManus is. He's a filmmaker, a fashion designer, an uh, iconoclast, entrepreneur. Uh, absolutely incredible. But today we're going to be talking about his newest book that's coming out. He is also one of my new friends, absolutely fascinating, fascinating guy. He's also has studied a lot about narcissism, and we're going to be talking about that today too. Welcome, 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 Irwin. Thank you for being here with me today.
0: Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to uh, be in this conversation with you.
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm so honored to have you here with me today. And wow, you've done so much in your life, and you had such a rich and diverse background. First of all, I want to go back and talk about the fact that your last name didn't even start (laughs) out being McManus. Let's talk about that.
0: Oh, thank you so much. You started with uh, everything. I'm not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my my name is an alias. I'm uh, I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. I was born in the capital, San Salvador. Spanish was my first language. I learned English when I came to the states. Uh, my mom um, was uh, married to a, a man who was um, involved in what we called creative underground economies. He was running from a a bad. Um, business situation in Chicago, flew to Miami, needed a new identity, met my mom. A couple of weeks later, they got married. And he took us to a police station, I guess convinced the police that we'd been robbed. And suddenly, I walked out with my last name, McManus. And so um, I'm not Irish. I, my first name was not Erwin when I was born. So I have a German first name, an Irish last name, and a Spanish middle name. Uh, so uh, who knows who I am? But I never changed my name because eventually I was, you know, I was so accustomed to living with my alias that if I went back to my original name, it would seem like I was changing my name.
1: All right. So what was your
0: original name? I don't actually tell people that just so I can keep a coherent (laughs) sense of self. Okay. (laughs) I I get stopped in airports all over the world because I have two different nationalities, two passports, two different names. And so I'm always on the list of... Of uh, of the international drug trade and and uh, uh, so I just stick with Irwin Raphael McManus, and that's the best way I can go for.
1: <laughs> okay, but you grew up in in El Salvador. You come here, and um, you know, and and you had like this uh, rich and diverse uh, sort of religious background too. I mean, kind of Roman Catholic, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if you're born in El Salvador, you're sort of born into Roman Catholicism, and which doesn't mean you ever go to mass or anything like that. But you just identify yourself as Roman Catholic, same way I would identify myself as Spanish, and the same way that some people would say, "Oh no, you know, I'm 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 Asian or I'm Japanese or Chinese or I'm German." You say, "I'm Roman Catholic," and and my only religious experience was. Three or four times we did go to mass around Easter time, and I think three of those times we actually missed Easter because we didn't know which Sunday was actually Easter, and or, or Palm Sunday or something. So we were pretty irreligious, and and I had a lot of um, religious influences from, um, Judy, from Judaism to Buddhism uh, to mysticism to Catholicism, uh, and, and you know, so I was definitely more spiritually eclectic.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay, so um, most of my listeners know that I'm half Chinese, and my dad was had a Buddhist sort of background, although he mm. went to uh, Columbia University, so he kind of identified a little bit as Presbyterian as well, which was kind of interesting, but what I found interesting is in your new book, you also kind of tell a story about a jade buddha which I think is really <laughs> fascinating because my middle name is Yukong, which Yu actually means Jade. And mm. so I was really fascinated by that. Can you tell a little bit about that?
0: Sure. You, you know, we don't all remember all of our lives. We have distinct memories that have shaped us, and that's how we remember our story. And one of the things that really stayed with me from my childhood was when our lives were going really bad. My mom was going through some really difficult times, and she brought home a Buddha. And she brought home the Buddha, hoping that Buddha would give us good luck. and And obviously we were we, we didn't understand the nuances of Buddhism or anything like that. but uh, we had that Buddha in the house, and we hoped for a season of our lives that somehow um, bringing Buddha into our home and and giving homage to to Buddha would would help us uh, live a better life or or have some good luck and uh, things did not get better eventually my mom um got upset and destroyed that buddha and decided that it wasn't going well for us but but what it did for me though it opened up my mind when i was 8 you know 9 years old to the reality of the different belief systems their different religions that their different um understandings of of how life works and what's what what's real in both the material and spiritual world
1: yeah so you you've got this new book out and it's called The Genius of Jesus and you've been kind of mm-hmm. studying the genius of for a long time and it's the name of your podcast The Genius of
0: mm-hmm.
1: And but yet and you and you became a pastor a long time ago you started this church Mosaic Church a long time ago but yet this is the first time you've actually written a book about the genius of Jesus
0: it's true. It's the first time I've written a book about Jesus at all. And, and, and I think some of it is my background is more eclectic. Uh, you know, I, I've lived and worked as a fashion designer, I've worked as a filmmaker, I've worked as a futurist for decades of my life. And uh, and being a pastor was not really, in my mind, my occupation. It was my passion. It was it was the expression of my own spirituality. It wasn't um, necessarily always my my um, in my mindset, my occupation or my career. And so I always, uh, and because I, I, I'm here in LA, I'm in Hollywood. Um, it wasn't like uh, being in Hollywood was the kind of place where uh, you could you could start a church with with financing. And so I financed the church, and I worked in the business world all these years. And and but uh, but some of it for me was I, I never wanted to fit into the stereotypical space of a pastor. I wanted to make sure that that I expressed all the creative essence of who I am as a human being, and then I gave people a different example of what it means to be a spiritual human being, to be a follower of Jesus. And, and I've been fascinated by genius pretty much all my life. When I was 12 years old, I was in a psychiatric chair, um, and I was a straight D student, first through 12th grade, and, um, and I wasn't sure if I had mental disabilities, and I was told that I did. And so I, when I went through this psychiatric uh, journey, And I went through all this testing. And I've taken probably every IQ test that was available to to anyone at that time and all the way through college. And just to come to a realization that while on paper and in class and in the structures that existed, I seemed to have a, a massive mental deficiency. And yet when I took these other tests, it seemed like I had some level of proficiency. And so I always wondered if there was genius inside of me inside of others that was trapped or maybe unharnessed or or almost inaccessible because of of psychological emotional damage in our lives and and so i've been fascinated by genius all my life and uh and and i uh, i felt like i always struggled with being on the border of 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 my own mental health my own my own mental sanity and and, um, and certainly struggled with neurosis and hopefully didn't struggle with psychosis. But I always wondered, is, is there an aspect of who we are as human beings that others identify as um, a symptomatic problem when actually maybe it's just um, a level of personal genius that's developing and needs to be nurtured and developed? So I started studying genius at a very early age, but I also became a follower of Jesus. And I thought it was really odd that Jesus was never on any list of geniuses. And I mean, my, I guess my iconic genius throughout life was Leonardo da Vinci. And I know I'm supposed to say Jesus, but it was really Leonardo that was really, for me, my inspiration for so many years of my life. And, and when you look at the list, da Vinci is always there. Mozart is pretty much always there. Picasso is always there. Einstein would always be there. And and then you have more modern geniuses, whether it would be you know Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or or Stephen Hawking's or Bobby Fischer. If you go back just a little bit, and 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 you have these geniuses, but Jesus is never on the list. I started wondering. Here I am, a follower of Jesus, and yet Jesus never makes any list of geniuses. Was Jesus actually a genius? Does he qualify as one? What what makes a genius? What what are the um, essential ingredients of genius? And, and does Jesus actually meet that? And that's what drove me to write this book, was to ask the question: How can one person, who lived 2,000 years ago with an obscure part of the human story, have so much global influence without having some level of genius?
1: And the answer is, let's. Uh, well, that's why I wrote
0: the. I, I wrote the book because what I what I came to determine was that. Jesus is, in fact, history's most profound genius. But what makes him different is that the genius of Jesus is transferable. Because all other genius is not transferable. You could spend your life with Mozart, you're never going to become a concert musician. Or um, Mm, If you spend your life with Picasso, you're never going to become a painter. If you spend your life with Steph Curry, you're probably never going to become a three-point shooter. If you spend your life with with Hawkins, you're never going to become a physicist. But if you spend your life intimately engaged with Jesus of Nazareth, you will find the very essence of your humanity transformed. And I thought what's fascinating to me is that Jesus has a very unique genius. His genius is in the essence of what it means to be human. And that that genius is the singular genius that is actually transferable.
1: Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier. And Air Doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria, and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code, Your Best Life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off, exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code YOURBESTLIFE. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash best life Wow isn't that amazing that is so so fascinating to me and yet I, I mean one of the things that I sort of said flippantly as we were like jumping on this call but yet... As I was saying it, I thought, well, no, I think this is absolutely true. Had Jesus lived today, I think he would have 100% been accused of being a narcissist. Because if somebody comes along and says, I am God, I'm the son of God, how would he have not been accused of being a narcissist? I mean, well, yes, interesting. He, interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, here's the interesting thing, Rebecca. The way most of us think of God, to say you're God would make you a narcissist. Because essentially, the characteristics we have of God is that God is a narcissist. He's all powerful. He's all consuming. He demands to be worshiped. He judges and condemns. And if you don't line up with his expectations, he tortures and punishes you for all of eternity. So, the way that we think about God, God would be identified as a narcissist. What Jesus came to do first and foremost was to change our minds about who God is. Jesus was actually giving us a different picture of God, that God is a servant, that God is humble, that God is compassionate, that God is lowly, that that God is actually um, the most humble Person you would ever encounter and experience. So he comes in on a donkey, not on a white horse. He's born of a carpenter in a, in a manger, not in the palace of a king. He walks in in poverty and doesn't live his life in in in, um, in opulence. He doesn't take a position of power. And so when Jesus talks about God, what was he's more born, difficult? He's born for them of an was,
1: unwed mother.
0: Yeah, and so here you have. Um, really let's considered the bastard son of a, of a Jewish woman who's a slave to the Romans, everything Jesus paints about God is actually something that's incredibly unattractive to us. Because, you know, we, in a sense, we all want to be God when we think of God being all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present. Do we really want to be like God if God is the greatest servant, if he's the most humble, if he's the most compassionate, if he's the most giving and caring? Yeah, And so if you have that definition of God and you then say the Father and I are one, what you're actually saying is God is a servant and I'm here to serve you. God is, is the God who's willing to wash your feet. So I'm gonna put a towel around my waist. I'm gonna wash your feet. So Jesus doesn't just invert his own declaration of his divinity. He inverts their entire understanding of who God is. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. When we say in the psychological field that a person has a God complex, it's always because they're a narcissist or a sociopath. When a person has a God complex, they think that they're the the center of the universe. They're the most important thing they need to be worshiped. And uh, Jesus is transforming the whole mentality of a God complex. That, what about if, if we said, oh, that person has a God complex. He has an, he has a, an unexplainable need to serve other people. That, 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 that man has a God complex. He just lives with abject humility.
1: When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high conflict personality and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free win my negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com.
0: Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I think for me
2: the most important thing is it's not always what someone has done necessarily but what someone is committed to and one of the things that I'm committed to is dignity and compassion for myself and and other human beings and so so the work that I do now and um, and the way I've Kind of selected my interactions inside of whether it's the music industry, whether it's inside of uh, personal de- development industry, whether it's the books. It's all centered around contributing into other people's lives uh, from my experience, right? From from my my journey um, that others would be able to to learn from my journey and be able to expand and, and get some insights on how they may be able to do life differently for themselves if they want to achieve something great in the world.
0: And now we return to today's show.
1: And, you know, I've heard many times, like, he didn't come here to, like, start a new church or start a new religion or anything like that, right? I mean, that wasn't his plan. I mean... I, at least that, that was my understanding. What, what, what is your understanding on that?
0: Well, first of all, I, I want to uh, just add to this that when we, when we say in the psychological field that a person has a God complex, it's always because they're a narcissist or a sociopath. When a person has a God complex, they think that they're the, most, they're the center of the universe. They're the most important thing. They need to be worshiped. And uh, Jesus is transforming the whole mentality of a God complex. That what about if if we said oh that person has a god complex he has a he has a, an unexplainable need to serve other people and that 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 man has a god complex he just lives with abject humility that woman has a god complex he, she just always sacrifices for the good of others wouldn't it be great if we could change the entire narrative of a god complex and and what but but by the way Jesus did actually say that he came to um, uh, to Establish his church. So he was the one that came up with the idea of the church. And it's just that what we do is we take really good ideas and we redesign them for our own purposes. Because for Jesus, the church was human community. For Jesus, what the church was is a place where everyone belonged, where everyone was loved, where everyone was accepted, a place that could we could come together without judgment and condemnation, but with grace and compassion. And that kind of human movement is absolutely necessary. And that is the movement that has spread across the world over 2,000 years. And that's what drove me to write the book because I have these conversations with myself all the time, which I guess you know, is why I'm not always uh, lonely when I'm by myself is because I'm, I'm talking to myself. And, and I have this conversation with myself thinking how weird it is that my entire life revolves around another person who lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus. I mean, it's kind of strange... And, and almost bizarre realization. And, and, I, and I had this thought, so one of two things has happened. Either my life has been changed because, see, there's a lot of things I can't prove. People ask me about God and eternity and heaven and hell. Look, there's a lot of things that are out of my control. I can't prove them. But what I can't prove is that I've been changed. Like, my life has genuinely been changed. I can tell you that, that there are principles in my life that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for this This strange relationship I have with Jesus. I I do actually desire to be a more caring and loving person. I do desire to be a person that reflects humility and grace. I I do desire to be a person that makes the world a better place. I I don't don't even know why I desire that fully. Even when I'm alone with no one else, I still want to be the best version of myself. And so I realized I've been changed by Jesus. So I've either been changed by the reality of the presence of Jesus as God himself or because I always give myself the or I'm also a cynic inside my brain, or I've been changed by the idea of Jesus. And when I had that thought, it just exploded in my brain. I thought, could an idea be so powerful that it could change a person 2,000 years later? And, and so in the moment, I thought, wow, I mean, it's a miracle that if Jesus is God. But how much more extraordinary, miraculous is it that an idea could change my life like that? And, and so I began writing the book at first from the posture of, I'm writing the book as if I don't believe Jesus is God. I I put my faith on on the side table. And I began writing the book as a person who's looking at Jesus as as the carrier of the greatest idea that has ever entered human history. Because it actually drives people toward humility and integrity and kindness and compassion and grace and forgiveness. He, uh, He transforms the concept of leadership as not a position to hold power but to empower. He transforms um, the responsibility of government as not to rule over people but to actually serve the people. All these modern constructs we have of of even uh, modern society that we have in the United States and in Great Britain and Australia and New Zealand and uh, other countries around the world where we have this mindset that government should be ethical, that that contract did not exist before Jesus. And what we need to realize is that the idea of Jesus is so profound that it has actually kept momentum for 2,000 years. So I started writing the book as if I didn't believe, but then I found myself overwhelmed. It's as if the book converted me to believe again. And so I had to rewrite the book with a deep sense of faith. And, And so to me, the genius of Jesus is the convergence of the pursuit of genius and the pursuit of Jesus, and watching that collision happen.
1: Wow, I'm like, I'm so moved by what you just said, and 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 I, you know, I think back to um, there was a comedian uh, a couple of years ago who was talking about how uh, Jesus. He was actually joking, but not really joking about the fact that. Well, Christianity is the most important religion because if you don't believe me, let me ask you this question. What year is it? Mm-hmm. And not only what year is it to Christians, but what year is it to every single human being on the planet? Mm-hmm. Every single human being on the planet. So like, how did that happen? that one being came to this earth and there was such an impact by this person's birth that every single human being is now marking time based on that person's birth.
0: And when you look at the intersection of world religions, Rebecca, one of the things that I think is fascinating is whenever religions collide, it, you want to see what happens in that ecotonic state. Uh, and when Buddhism and Christianity collide, Christianity doesn't absorb Buddha. But Buddhism says, yes, Jesus is a Buddha. He has achieved that ultimate state. And when Christianity and, and when Jesus intersects with Hinduism, the teachings of Jesus does not absorb Hinduism. But Hinduism absorbs Jesus that, yes, Jesus is one of the paths to um, enlightenment. And, and, and it's, it's fascinating to me, even when you look at like uh, Islam, Islam absorbs Jesus. And yes, Jesus is a great teacher. And, and it always it, it strikes me as interesting when different belief systems intersect that Jesus isn't discounted. It, it's almost as if you can discount Christianity and you could try to throw away the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible, but, but this person of Jesus, he, he demands the kind of respect that where other religions want the affirmation of Jesus in their belief system. And, and, I, and I think it, it, even a, a well-thinking agnostic or atheist should take time and, and ask the question, what is it in, within the teachings or, or the, the life or the person of Jesus that is so compelling that it remains impactful for thousands of years? And I, I think this book gives us a new perspective, a, a fresh and a new lens to the person of Jesus that that I, I'm convinced will allow millions of people to see how compelling Jesus is and and how life changing uh, his life message is
1: mm, goodness so um, so let's go back to you know one of the the most Impactful geniuses of Jesus that you found when you started to dive into the the areas of his genius. I mean, I I'm looking at the um, sure. areas of genius that you you break down. Uh,
0: sure, like one chapter on power is, yeah. is I think significant. The way that Jesus reframes power, and we talked about this a little bit, but I well, maybe I want to apply it on a on a um, political level, where um, Jesus transforms the thinking of power, he says. And I, I know think this is
1: a good one because, especially for people who are my audience, who are dealing perhaps with somebody that they think is maybe more powerful than they are, in a, in a narcissist.
0: Yeah, and, and remember, the people of Israel were, in the context of history, they were slaves. They had been conquered by the Roman Empire. And, and so when, when the Bible actually talks about slavery, it's actually talking about them. They're the slaves to the Roman Empire. And they wanted Jesus to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted a, a political military king that would give them political freedom. And Jesus comes and actually turns power upside down. And he says, look, if you spend your life fighting power with power and the way you've understood it, all there will ever be is violence and war. So when you have power, use that power to empower. When you have power, use that power to serve. That uh, and he says, that, you know, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He said, even I did not come with my power to overpower. I came to serve you, and through the power of of servanthood, I've come to turn the world upside down. And that's actually what happened to the Roman Empire. I think it was the uh, the Black Plague that. Uh, spread across the empire, and, and all those children and that were left without parents, the, the orphans, the, uh, the masses who were dying, uh, the Roman Empire basically disowned them and left them alone. It was the Christians who actually risked their lives, stepped into diseased environments, and took care of the, the poor and the sick and the, uh, and the forgotten. And it was actually through this massive movement of compassion and servanthood that the entire Roman Empire collapsed under the weight of this new movement called Christianity, started by this son of a carpenter who came out of Nazareth. And you couldn't have conceptualized that this theory of power would have so much power in history. And when you look at even like modern time, the idea of, of, um, of social responsibility of political responsibility. When we talk about in our government, even about like reparations of past crimes, the idea that, that a nation should um, even think of reparations for, um, for tribes or peoples that were conquered is such a foreign concept in, in human history. I mean, Genghis Khan would have never thought I need to go back and pay reparations for all the villages and cities I, I pillaged and for all the women I raped and for all the families I destroyed. And conquerors take, conquerors conquer. And then they reap the benefit of their conquest. But Jesus so changed our mind about power that uh, when the United States went to war in World War II, we conquer, defeat Germany. And instead of conquering Germany and making it our land, look at the difference between East Germany and West Germany. The Russian mindset without Christianity is pillage East Germany. The Christian mindset with West Germany is rebuild the West and give the Western Germans their freedom. We established them, same with Japan. We go and conquer Japan. We didn't go and pillage Japan. We didn't go conquer Japan and take it over. We didn't go wipe out all that. We didn't even kill the emperor. We let the emperor stay in power. And we, we actually in that moment showed grace and the US government rebuilt Japan. And it shouldn't surprise us that Japan and Germany are two of the strongest economic powers in the world because being conquered by the United States was the best thing in that sense that could have happened to them uh, in terms of a long-term historical view. I know that sounds insane, but that would not have happened without the genius of Jesus reconstructing the way we see the legitimate use of power.
1: Mm, So, so fascinating. Well, um, the book is The Genius of Jesus, and I will be putting a link to it in the show notes and definitely grab it. Uh, It will absolutely blow your mind. And um, we will uh, also be... um, putting it, uh, we, we will be doing a live as well for those of you who are listening to this uh, in real time uh, on, when, when it goes live on the 13th of September. Uh, so make sure you check that out as well. Uh, follow uh, uh, Pastor Irwin McManus on um, Instagram. Uh, and is there anything else that you want to share with us before we wrap up the show?
0: Uh, you, you know, if they go to uh, my website, it.com, and we have a series of podcasts that come out. We have our battle-ready podcast. We just talk about all kinds of cultural issues. We have the Genius Up podcast. We have great interviews, and, and uh, we, did, we just finished a great interview with, with you, Rebecca. And, um, and if you want to dive in more both to the concept of your personal genius, I think this is a great place to start. But if you want also a fresh perspective on who Jesus is, this is also a great place to start. And I just want to thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share um, what I'm so excited about because I think this book could actually become revolutionary in the world that we live in today.
1: Yes, and we all, you all, everybody listening, you all have your own personal genius as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Erwin McManus absolutely go grab this book and go follow him and go listen to everything he has to say. You are a genius. So thank you. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zong. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life.